Hello and welcome to the Dallas Christian College Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spees, the Director of Advancement here at DCC. We want to thank you for joining us as we continue in our series of podcasts that focus on current topics and events that are shaping our society, the world of education, and the local church. And to begin with, we want to wish everyone a very happy Memorial Day on this Monday, May the 31st of 2021. We want to honor all of those who have gone on before us, and especially those who have served our country and have given their life to defend our freedom and liberties. We're grateful for your service and for the sacrifice that those people have made. In this episode, we're going to honor one of those people who has gone on to be with the Lord, the founder and the first president of Dallas Christian College, Mr. Vernon Newland. Specifically, we're looking at how God was at work upstream in Mr. Newland's life and how God is often working upstream in our our own lives to accomplish his purpose and his will in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend or imagine. We have shared the story of God's clear direction and movement in the life of Vernon Newland several times this past year as part of DCC's 70th anniversary. The college was founded in September of 1950. And we thought it would be good to discuss these events in this episode of our podcast today as a way to begin talking about DCC's vision for the future, as well as honoring a servant of God on this Memorial Day. Dr. Mark Kalin, the chair of DCC's Bible Department and a regular guest on our leadership podcast, has done extensive research on Vernon Newland's life and the events that led to his decision to start a Bible college here in Texas. Discussing this topic with Dr. Halen is the voice of the DCC Leadership Podcast, Mr. Mark Worley. So welcome, Mark Worley, Dr. Halen. Glad you are both here today. And I'm going to turn it over to you guys and let you share the incredible story of the founding of Dallas Christian College. Well, thanks, Scott. You know, it's it's pretty interesting to me. I, I actually met uh, Vernon Newland years ago as a kid. We were voluntold. Uh, to work here on campus, clearing it off, all the mesquite trees and stuff like that. And he uh, he was here, and uh, he, I remember he just stopped us working and just said, boys, do you see it over here? There's a dorm over here, and there's this over there. Uh, you know, I just thought he was kind of a, a, an interesting fellow, let's mm-hmm. put it th- that way. Uh, not, not overly pleased uh, being voluntold to, to work on mesquite trees, but uh, when I heard... You know, it's kind of interesting when I heard this story and I've heard Dr. Halen share uh, some of the background of this story uh, several times. And it just amazes me that I was in in companionship with a a brilliant, awesome, incredible man of God and didn't even know it. And so uh, Dr. Halen has really enlightened me to some of the incredible things that he has done. And uh, we're going to have some resources on the website. But, Dr. Halen, I'm really proud of the fact that you've done some extensive research. In fact, even today, you were telling us about some more things that you found. So why don't you begin, I suppose, at the beginning with, uh, with Vernon Newland and, and your interest and, and how this developed? Okay, well, um, I've, always, I've always been interested in history in another life. I'd be a history professor uh, specializing in either Civil War or World War II uh, history. And I think a lot lot of the World War II interest comes from the fact that that my father, like your father, uh, were World War II vets. And uh, I had two, possibly three uncles 
that that also fought in in the war. Uh, my father was in the European theater, but he was headed for the Pacific theater. Uh, he was on a banana boat uh, <laughs> wow. on the Pacific when when uh, the war ended, and uh, and I've so I've always been fast and and. When I was about in sixth grade, was like the 25th anniversary of the end of the, the war. So there was a lot of books. There were a lot of books being printed, uh, even for young readers about the war. And, and I, I got some of those and, and read. And so I've always been fascinated. So when I came to DCC 28 years ago, and I learned that the founder um, was, was interred in a Japanese prison camp in the Philippines, that's always fascinated me and then through the years I'd see like videos on you know on the weekend on C-SPAN it's American History TV and I'd see these videos about the Santa Tomas uh, internment camp and the liberation of Manila the liberation of that camp uh, I, I then just my curiosity just began to grow and I, I've I've learned uh, more and more things that that has have fascinated me about the the prehistory of DCC with the Newland family, and uh, and I'll, I'll give a couple of bibliographic sources along with all the stuff that's on our our uh, uh, school website that people can look at. Uh, if they can go out and get the movie The Great Raid, that won several awards about the liberation of the Cabanatuan POW camp, where 500 POWs were, were evacuated and rescued. Uh, from the Philippines, that actually laid, that actually is part of the prehistory of the rescue of the the Newlands, along with 3,700 you know civilians that were interred in the Santa Tomas uh, uh, internment camp in Manila, because uh, Douglas MacArthur had it in mind to rescue people out of all the POW camps. But it was the Kabanatawan successful rescue of 500 that convinced him it could be done and really accelerated uh, accelerated things. So I get we probably need to back up a little bit because we actually been ta- talking past some of the key key uh, events. Most most Americans know that uh, America's involvement in World War II began December 7th. 1941 with the bombing of Pearl Harbor. At the same time that was happening, uh, Manila, the capital of the Philippines, uh, was being bombed by the Japanese. In most history books, it'll be dated as December the 8th, but that's because of the international date line. So they're almost simultaneous, uh, the two bombings. And the Newlands were in the Philippines. Uh, they had been unable to return to China where they had been missionaries because of the Japanese presence in China and the warfare that was going on there in the late 30s. And so they, they are in the Philippines. And uh, uh, the Japanese, after the bombing, shortly thereafter, have a land invasion of the Philippines. And, of course, uh, you know, People can go and they can read about, you know, the Bataan Death March, you know, the, tra- the, the atrocities that were involved with that, with Americans being forced, uh, you know, forced in the prison camps. Gen- you know, Douglas MacArthur has to leave the Philippines. He's ordered by the president to leave the Philippines 
And on March 21, 1942, he vows, I shall return. And uh, meanwhile, uh, many American civilians were rounded up by the Japanese and were interred in a university campus, the Santa Tomas University that was founded in the 1500s. It was founded before Harvard mm. ever was even thought of. Uh, it's a Dominican university in the Philippines. Uh, they were rounded up, put in that internment camp. The, the Newlands were not there yet. Uh, they escaped into the mountains and were able to hide out there for several months, uh, somewhere around six months. They were able to hide out before they were finally found by the Japanese, and they were put in. So uh, those who were originally in the internment camp were there for about three and a half years. Uh, the Newlands were there for two and a half years. Uh, it was three years, three months, I think, for the those who were the original internees. Uh, so Melvin Newland's there with his wife, Mona. Uh, they're, they're also there with Marsha, their daughter, and Neil, their son. Melvin, uh, their oldest son, is 14 years old, but he's in the U.S. in boarding school. And so he went through the war basically not knowing what had happened to his parents uh, or their state. He kind of knew what had happened uh, in terms of he's, they're in a camp somewhere uh, interred by the Japanese, but didn't know their, about their welfare. Um, and then while in the camp, the youngest Newland, Paul, uh, was born on May the 6th, 1943. So he's almost two years old when the camp is liberated in 1945. But uh, the Newlands are there in the camp with 3,700 you know, people. Uh, and uh, at the beginning, life is not too bad for the inter- internees because they can, they can go out to the fence and they can trade with Filipino you know, Manila residents. They can get food. Uh, and things aren't too bad. They're crowded into dorms or given permission to build shanties out in the plaza uh, and, you know, kind of spread out in the camp. And life kind of goes on fairly normally for about a year. But then as the, the fortunes of war for the Japanese turn and the fortunes of war for the Americans turn mm-hmm. in opposite directions, then food and supplies tighten in the Philippines and the Japanese begin to confiscate things and uh, life becomes much 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 more cruel for those who are interned um, we we have figures that you know we're you know again we're talking across three years two and a half years uh, that by January of 1945, the average weight loss among males in the camp had been 53 pounds, uh, which uh, and the average loss of body weight was 32.5%. One starves at 40%. And you got to remember, yeah, it looks like that's a big difference, 32.5 and 40. But you got to remember, those last several percentage points go really fast when you're beginning to starve. On January the 30th, same time that Katabatawan is being being liberated, the Japanese seize all the food in the camp because their soldiers are are hurting. Uh, so all the food that the Japanese can round up out of the camp is seized, and that's just going to accelerate the starvation. 
Um, there was someone with a radio inside the camp that they were able to keep it hidden. Mm-hmm. Many of the people in the camp thought that he was actually a German, but he was actually British. And uh, he had been able to communicate out uh, the conditions in the camp. And between what was learned about the, the Palawan uh, POW camp where prisoners were killed and like five were able to escape and information they found through intelligence and what they discovered from the Katabatawan uh, raid, uh, it was fairly convinced that... that uh, the Japanese planned to kill all the POWs and all the civilian attorneys. Now, let's back up a little bit. <laughs> uh, how God works upstream. Hmm. Uh, we talked about how the fortunes of war had turned. There was a big debate in the American military and in the Allied military of how best to go at the final victory over Japan. The the majority opinion was to capture Formosa, which we now know as Taiwan. Capture Formosa because there were already air, air bases there, naval bases. It was thought that the Chinese would, would assist the Americans in capturing Formosa, and it was just frankly, it was closer to Japan. It, you know, we don't, you know, most people don't know at that time, don't know about the Manhattan Project. We don't know that there's going to be an atomic bomb. Right. It's the thought we're going to have to invade Japan. Uh, and that's going to be far more difficult than invading Europe and conquering Europe. Uh, and so that's the majority opinion. Well, on, in December of 1944, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, meets with his joint commanders in Hawaii and uh, and that's that's the consent you know that's the near consensus we're going to go to Formosa, but there's one guy who says no, and that's Douglas MacArthur. Douglas MacArthur was an arrogant guy. <laughs> you know, he was a very proud man. Most generals, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but among generals, they thought that he was arrogant, and uh, and uh, he said, "I made a commitment." You know, in his own motivation. He loved the Philippines. He'd grown up in the Philippines. Um, uh, he said, I've made a commitment, and, and, uh, and he really pushed for the Philippines. He said, we have prisoners there. Mm-hmm. And uh, late at night, uh, before the, decision, the night before the decision was supposed to be made, he, he tells FDR, you know, when some 8,000, there's like four POW camps, and there's, they know about 8,000 people are there. When American citizens find out that we bypassed the Philippines and 8,000 civilians and POWs were slaughtered by the Japanese, that's not going to go well for you at re-election time. <laughs> uh, and so FDR sleeps on it, and the next day MacArthur gets his wish. Oh, wow. And so there's a massive invasion. Massive invasion, and uh, and uh, the units of the First Cavalry in the Sixth Army uh, go behind enemy lines a uh, hundred miles over a period of about three days to get to uh, Santo Tomas in Manila and another POW camp that's a few blocks away in Manila. They go behind enemy lines, 
And on February the 3rd, 1945, uh, uh, five tanks come crashing through the gate and, and liberate the camp, although they're surrounded by some 42,000 Japanese soldiers are still in Manila. <laughs> and so they have to set up artillery inside the camp to protect the camp while they wait for the rest of the invasion force uh, the, that's coming to, to capture Manila. And so, so you know, there, there's actually still fire and all this kind of stuff going on uh, that uh, they have to protect the internees. And there's actually 17 uh, residents of the camp that are killed. Uh, after the liberation of the camp. Uh, but uh, as this relates to DCC, uh, in the midst of the celebration, uh, Vernon Newland is running around the camp, campus, you know, celebrating like everyone else. And he turns the corner and he sees the bodies uh, of some slain American soldiers. And you know, he was a missionary. He knew as well as anybody the notion that Jesus died for our sins, but he, it, it really gripped him that men had died to set he and his family and all these other people in the camp free. And that left an indelible mark on, on his life when he came uh, mm -hmm. back to the States. Yeah. Uh, when he came back to the States, uh, his health would, would probably not allow him to go back uh, onto the mission field. So he began thinking about, uh, you know, the state of the American church, the state of the world, and he saw biblical higher education as a, a means uh, of the propagation of the gospel. So he went on tour for about a year, and uh, he had like a thousand speaking engagements in one year. He would arrive in town. He'd usually like speak in a high school assembly about his experiences. He would then go to like the Rotary Club or the Kiwanis Club and speak at lunch. And then that night, he would speak in a church. He did that for a year. And, uh, you know, again, log 1,000 in his first year, 1,000 speak engagements. That's more than Mark, Mark Worley does in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's phenomenal. That's, that's incredible. Phenomenal. Well, I, I told you, you know, when I, when I met the guy, he was a mover and shaker. I mean, mm -hmm. he was always moving, always looking at the next thing to do, the next vision mm -hmm. that he had. Uh, I mean, th that that's one of the things I remember even as a kid being around this guy is that he was always on the move, always had things that he saw down the road. But, uh, I, you know, it's pretty interesting, Mark, to hear about how, you know, what motivated him, you know, other than obviously his uh, strong belief in Christ. But, uh, man, that story just, just reminds me of, what motivated him in a big way to establish colleges like Dallas yeah. Christian College? Yeah, he went on to establish five colleges. DCC was the second. Um, I believe he's that generation, you know, it's often called the great generation, you know, the, the generation that went through the Great Depression, uh, went through World War II. Uh, again, you know, I think of my dad, your dad. 
that was a generation of people and my and our moms who you know yeah. you know worked in factories building airplanes. My mom worked for Penn Central, you know, and getting getting troops across and supplies across the country. Uh, I think that generation came back from that experience and saw the depths of human evil and basically said, not on my watch. Hmm. Yeah. You know, that yeah. that that this this has to end. This has to end. And they devoted the uh, a lot of, a lot of these men came back and became, you know, like the leaders in the church where I grew up. Uh, became elders, became preachers, became teachers, you know, and and uh, that was a generation that, that was strong in missions, uh, strong in building schools. Uh, and so so, uh, you know, that's... Yeah, I think that's a great observation, Mark. It, it really is because, you know, for some people, it wouldn't have, it would have hardened them, but not, not that generation. They saw, yeah, I think that's a great, great view. They, they saw the, the, the destruction uh, from evil and they did everything they possibly could to lift up the name of Christ. I think we're in a, I mean, really, we're in a similar situation. The world is moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, we're, we're taking a look at how important Christian higher education is right now. It's, it's so vital because of what's happening in the Mm -hmm. world. And we can uh, sit back and do nothing, or we can uh, follow their example. Uh, you know, I've met your dad, and and he was a mover and shaker. Just was constantly going as well. I think it's it's people like that that inspire us in this Memorial Day. They they inspire us uh, to say, you know, now is the time. Now is the time to yep. take a step uh, toward uh, the church, toward Christian higher education toward lifting up the, the powerful name of Jesus because that's the only answer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Thank you, Dr. Halen, for sharing this. Uh, we've referred to it several times, and Dr. Halen did as well. Uh, a lot of these resources are available on our website at www.dallas.edu. If you click on the News and Events tab, there is a link there to the DCC's 70th birthday resources. Uh, we have an interview that was done several years ago with uh, Vernon Newland's son, Melvin Newland, right here at DCC. We've got that video. Uh, Dr. Halen has an article that was written uh, about six years ago for our 65th anniversary in 2015, uh, where he talks about the same historical context and, and puts the the idea on there that God was working upstream in the life of Vernon Newland and in the history of DCC and incredible pictures as yeah. well that they could see it's just very gripping yep and I I think every time uh, Dr Halen talks about that he gets emotional and I yeah. and, and once you see all of that yeah. uh, I think our yeah. listener will experience the same thing exactly and it's uh, it's just an encouragement that uh, and I I could not echo and agree more. <laughs> with what uh, Mark Worley was saying, that now is the time for an institution like DCC. And uh, we're thankful for all of you who are uh, listening on a regular basis. And we hope that this uh, podcast today has been an encouragement to you and that you will also be uh, inspired and reminded of the important sacrifice that a lot of people who have gone on before us have made.
that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have in our country. So thank you, gentlemen, for being here. Thank you all for listening. We hope you have a, a great holiday. Be safe this summer. And we look forward to catching you the next time on the DCC Leadership Podcast.